0: Welcome to Real Estate Investing Unscripted, a podcast from Fund That Flip, where we explore some of the most creative, innovative, and inspiring stories from the real estate investor community. With expert tips and success stories you won't hear anywhere else, you'll come away with inspiration on how to improvise in the unscripted world that is real estate investing so that you can dominate your next real estate deal. Now your host, founder and CEO
1: of Fund That Flip, Matt Rodak. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. I'm your host, Matt Rodak, founder and CEO of Fund That Flip. And today we have a very special guest. He's, I would go as far to say, somewhat of a celebrity even in the real estate investing world. He hosts the world's longest running daily real estate podcast where he's interviewed guests like Barbara Corcoran and Tony Hawk. He has authored several books. He runs a really awesome conference out in Denver, which we'll talk a, a little bit about here towards the end of the show. And um, he owns more than four hundred million dollars worth of real estate. And, and overall, he's just a, a really great guy. I am honored to call him a friend. So, with that, Mr. Joe Fairless, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much, Matt, and looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, and I, I guess I should add to that list. I guess a, a, a new father. So, congratulations on a, on the birthday. Oh, that your, is true.
0: Yes. Yeah. Two, two and a half months. Um, now we've got a, got a, a, a daughter, so yeah. Um, uh, life has changed. Um, that's for sure. I
1: can, I can only imagine. So we have to put that at the, <laughs> the top of the list, I guess, of your credentials now, but, uh, there you go. That's right. So, so, anyways, you, you do a lot of different things, as mentioned in your intro. Um, but, but maybe tell us a little bit about your real estate business—kind of what you guys do, what you're focused on, how you operate, and just kind of you know, give everybody here that's listening a sense of of what that looks like.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. They, there are a lot of um, different you know platforms and and activities I participate in, but it's all focused on one thing, and that's apartment investing. Uh, so everything that you mentioned at the beginning of the show uh, in introducing me and everything that I do on an ongoing basis is focused on apartment investing. And so the my business that I co-founded with, the, with um, Frank Rossler, who's my uh, business partner, is Ashcroft Capital. That's our company. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, we've got uh, now... million worth of apartment communities. We partner with high net worth individuals and we buy apartment communities that are stabilized. Uh, so they're cash flowing day one, but they're value-add components to them. And, uh, the other things you mentioned, you know, the, the books, and uh, I've got the podcast and the conference, that's all, um, those, those are all different things I do to help grow the apartment investing business. Uh, so, you know, the conference that I, I host in Denver with, um, uh, with, with a, a co-host of mine and, uh, the books I, I write, um, and the podcasts I do, uh, that helps the apartment investing business. And that's the approach that I've taken with, um, our company where, you know there are certain certain aspects that lead to success, not only in real estate but also in in business in general. And one of them is ongoing commitment to personal development. And you know, with the podcast, I've interviewed over sixteen hundred people. We were talking about before we started recording. I've got sixteen hundred episodes of, of my podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is crazy, and. What that means is, I, I was thinking about the other day. I'm I've probably interviewed more real estate investors than anyone else in the entire world. I mm-hmm. don't know of anyone else who has interviewed more real estate investors than I have in the entire world. So, I, I've I've learned some stuff along the way, and I interview not just apartment investors. I interview fix and flippers. I interview you know founders of successful companies like yourself. I interview um, people who do wholesaling. You know, storage, commercial, or retail, etc. And so I, I learn. I have a commitment to learning on an ongoing basis. That has certainly helped me, um, and the, the the company Ashcroft Capital grow. But then also, you know, through like the conference, you know, the relationships that are established, and also learning, um, that's helpful. Then with the books, um, I have uh, you know ability to. Um, Reinforce those lessons by putting them on paper, but then also when I share it out with other people, uh, that helps people learn more about my thought process. Which, in turn, um, if they like the thought process, then they reach out to me, and then, um, then if they're an accredited investor and they're looking to passively invest, and that helps grow our network of investors. So it's a it's an intentional approach to personal development and also business growth that I take with all those things, but everything ladders up to apartment investing. Yep.
1: And, and I think it's, um, if you have any doubts that what Joe's talking about works, I think, you know, we can talk next about how you got started and how long you've been at this. But, you know, it, I think what's interesting is like we, we got connected about at the same time we were, we were starting our yep. our, our collective businesses. Um, and it's just been incredible to see, how much you've done in such a short amount of time. I know it's, it's probably four or five years now we're going on, but still like $470 million worth of, of real estate, 1600 episodes recorded, two books published, a conference that you guys are going on. What the third or third or fourth year doing the conference now, I think. Third. Yeah. Third. yeah, third. Um, all of that's happened in a, in a rather short amount of time, right? Like that's, that's sometime that's like some people's life, lifelong achievements. So like you packed into four years, uh, Talk to us a little bit about what you're doing before this. Kind of how you got interested in real estate, how you got started, and kind of how you you know how that's led up to where you're at today.
0: Well, yeah, and I think um, you know the the way I've scaled so quickly is I found the right team members to help me uh, because I've taken a, a honest assessment of my skill sets uh, and what I'm good at, and what I'm average at, and what I'm not good at. And then simply bringing on team members to help me um, or partner with me on things I'm average at, or I'm not good at, Uh, because, you know, everyone knows that if you're good at something, then, then check that box. But if you're average at it, you're going to fail in this, this day and age in business. And if you're not good at it, you're certainly going to fail. What I was doing before I was, Well, I graduated from college from Texas Tech University, and I moved straight from Texas, from Lubbock, Texas, to New York City. And I was a junior project manager at an advertising agency making $30,000 a year. Um, That doesn't go too far in New York City. Uh, So I was living in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, which at the time was statistically the busiest police precinct in all the five boroughs of New York City. Um, based on how many crimes are taking place in per precinct, and um, I moved from there to East Village. I lived there for nine years. So in the, I was in New York City for ten years, and during that time, I climbed the corporate ladder at my advertising in my advertising career. I went from junior project manager making thirty thousand to the youngest VP of an advertising agency uh, on Wall Street or near Wall Street, and I, I was making around one hundred and fifty thousand dollars there, and I realized I had a goal of making $100,000 by the time I was 30 years old, um, salary. And I'm, I, I think I accomplished that by my 28th or 29th birthday. And I realized once I accomplished it, that wasn't really what I was after. Um, you know, I accomplished a monetary goal, but I wasn't fulfilled by what I was doing. So I, I changed agencies one from one agency to another. Uh, The reason why was because I was going to work on more nonprofit stuff. And that still didn't scratch the itch. So I did what I call... I sampled life experiences while I had my full-time job in advertising. And I I learned um, stand-up comedy, which I'm I'm terrible at. I just took a class (laughs) at it. But I ended up performing at um, uh, Gotham City... Gotham Comedy Club, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I performed in front of a very friendly audience of coworkers. So uh, that, that was, it made it less nerve wracking, but I did that. I also was writing a book on, um, how to have a remarkable career, not my career, but other people. So I was interviewing other people at remarkable careers. I interviewed the soldier of the year. I interviewed, uh, uh, a, a, a very high level executive at Southwest airlines and some other people. So I was writing a book. I was, you know, learning stand-up comedy. Um, I was uh, also uh, teaching a class on how to buy single-family homes in cash-flowing markets. So I lived in New York City at the time, and um, you know, I was not able to afford anything in New York City. So I bought in Texas, where I was from. And my friends and were wondering how am I do how was I doing that? Because I was making a couple hundred bucks a month on each of the homes. At the time, I was. And I started telling them, and then so I taught a class on it eventually. And so I started teaching class. And what I realized by sampling life experiences is I realized what I really want to do more of. I think that's that that was really helpful for me uh, to uh, test things out while I still had a full time job and sample certain things. Um, and as a result, I left my uh, advertising profession. And I uh, want. I ended up doing real estate full-time. But, of course, when I left, I realized, well, prior to it, I I thought through this, but um, I wouldn't be able to pay for or or get approved for a mortgage for a single-family home. So I could, however, partner up with people who um, wanted to partner with me on larger deals. And um, when I taught some people in the class... The, the, what I was doing, I heard, hey, this looks good, but if ever you just, if you ever do something larger, let me know. I'd like to partner up. I heard that a couple of times. And I realized that I had customers before I had a product. And anytime as a business owner, you have customers before you have a product, well, keep on going. Like, you do that <laughs> yes. thing, yeah. assuming that, that you care about that thing because you're, you're on to something, my friend. And so I had customers before I had a product, and then I I uh, simply started looking at deals, and off I went.
1: One thing led to the next, and before you know it, you had a couple hundred million dollars of real estate. Um,
0: happened overnight. There, just like that. No, no, no challenges in between whatsoever. My,
1: my, <laughs> my father-in-law often says, he's like, look at you, Matt. You're a five-year overnight success, right?" Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's kind of true. Um, I think you hit on something, right? Anybody, any aspiring entrepreneurs out there, whether you're in real estate or not, I think Joe hit on a good point. You know, a lot of people think about, man, it's really hard. And If I could just build this app, right? If I could just, um, you know, create this legal structure and you invest all this like time, energy, effort, money into coming up with a product without first uh-huh. figuring out if you have customers for that product, right? So I think, um, yeah. you know, fortunately for you, you had it, you had it the other way. You had... But you had a product, it was actually the wrong product, right? Um, right. And you, and you listened to your customers and said, Oh, this is what they want. Let's go, let's go create that product instead. Um, yep. Really interesting. So, so another thing you, you hit on there that I'd like to maybe have you talk about for a little bit is you, you mentioned that you've, you've been fortunate to have folks around you to really help you, you, you build the business. And, and you've done that intentionally too, it sounds like, by first starting with a personal assessment maybe just give some pointers on like, what what does that look like? Is that kind of like a, just a reflection? Is it a, looking at your experience? Like how did you determine, okay, I'm, I'm good at these things um, and I'm going to need help at these other things. And then like kind of building the team around those, you know, those things that someone else can do better than you can.
0: Yeah. It's a three-step process. First is you've got to know what the successful people in your industry or what you've got to know what is required in order to be successful in your industry. You have to know the skill sets that are required. You have to know, um, the, the, uh, different, um, departments, uh, for, uh, the best in class companies that you're going to be competing against are what are the, what, what departments do they have in their company? So one is to be educated on what are the best in class people that I'm competing against doing, and what are they really good at? What are their skill sets? Because we've got to have some sort of of roadmap to follow. Ninety nine percent of the stuff any entrepreneur does has been done in some form or fashion by someone else. Most people aren't sending a rocket to Mars. Um, or, you know, doing Elon Musk type of stuff. Um, most people are taking aspects of businesses that have done, been there, done that before, but putting a unique spin on them, um, based on unique skill sets or differentiating feature for the most part. And so first is to identify what other people are doing that are successful in what you want to do. And then. The second is to, um, of, to list those things out. And then the second thing is to see which one of those things or um, uh, how many of those things do you enjoy doing. Um, for example, um, for my business, there are basically three components to be successful. One is uh, you have to have money to do deals. Uh, Mm -hmm. two is you have to have the deal and three is you have to execute successfully on the deal. You do those three things. You got money, you got the deal and you successfully execute. You're going to grow your business. So, um, when I look at what I enjoy the most, what I, um, thrive in and, and just what's fun to me, it is the, um, the money part, you know, having relationships with, with investors and, um identifying the helping identify the right opportunities, um, but primarily having those relationships with investors. And so um, the way that I uh I've structured the company that I co-founded with my business partner is he primarily focuses on the execution and then we have a team that focuses on the acquisition. And so those are, and he oversees the acquisition and I'm involved in some capacity in the acquisition, but we all focus on what we uniquely enjoy about the business. Yep. And, um, when we do that, then, then we're setting everyone up for success. I mean, think about, um, you know, uh, you know, LeBron, LeBron James, if he were, uh, at a position like, I don't know, center or something, well, that's not freeing him up to do what he really needs to do. I am not comparing myself to LeBron James. I'm <laughs> simply saying, um, with that example, you want to set up your your players, your team in the best way for them to thrive based on their unique skill sets. Yep. And so when you're creating companies, same thing. You want to set up your your company so that you can thrive Based on your unique skill set, and most likely your unique skill set ties back to what puts a smile on your face, yep. what you enjoy doing, and when you enjoy doing it, you're going to do better, and you're going to do it longer. And the key here is consistency over a period of time. Um, and and so the first step is to identify success, what successful companies in your space do. Second is to identify which one of those or ones of those characteristics. You will focus on... And then the third step and the final step is simply bring on team members to focus on the other areas. And that's it. I mean, that, that, that's, that's, that's the one, two, three-step process for scaling a company in a relatively short period of time and doing it in a way that sets everyone up for success, um, not only in the short term, but also in the long term, because everyone's doing stuff that they really enjoy doing. Therefore, they thrive.
1: Yeah, and I it, it, it couldn't agree more. I think um, very well said, and and it sounds super easy when you say it. I think um, I think uh, one of the one of the challenges, perhaps, for people to just kind of be aware of is is I think part of part of is, is that second the second bullet point that you have, right? And I think this was hard for me is letting go, right? Like as part of this is if you're going to bring other people on to do some of this stuff, you also have to empower them to do it. Right, and to do it maybe a different way than you would do it, um, because you hired them for that for for a reason that is exactly that they should be they should be better at you than doing that thing, right? So part of it, is, I think, a little bit of of humility um, and willingness mm-hmm. to, to let go; otherwise, you you get stuck. There's no there's no way to go Yep. Up.
0: <laughs> and you know, it's it's strange because I don't have a problem letting go. Yeah, good, good for you. <laughs> that's never been an issue. That's never been an issue for me when, uh, whenever I, I know what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy. And so the areas that, that I don't enjoy, I have no problem bringing on someone to focus on that area that they enjoy that I don't enjoy. I have zero, zero problem with that. Now I have to have a level of competency in that area in order to, do some checks and balances with them to make sure that it's being done effectively, but they are going to be much better at it than I am. And I just don't have that chip um, in me for better or worse. I, I, that's, that's just not something in my personality where I have a problem. So so I so 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 consequently I have no tips for anyone who does yeah. <laughs> who, who who does have a problem letting go I because so, it's just not my nature.
1: I have a little bit of a letting go problem, and the the, the tip that I have I can share, I guess, is um, do it once and like actually fully let go and like feel how good it feels um, and you'll want to, you'll want to keep doing it. <laughs> I mean, that that's, mm-hmm. that's it, right? Cause it just frees you up so much to go actually work on the things you like to work on. And, and ultimately you end up getting a better result, um, because of it. So thank you for sharing that. Uh, so again, some really cool stuff on how you've grown your business. And it's been a, it's been a pleasure on this end, watching it, watching it grow. Um, another thing that I'd love to have you talk about and, and kind of just pull us back a little bit more into more specifically real estate is, and you mentioned it, you know, even when you were getting started buying single family houses is this idea of buying for cash flow. Um, I know it's something that you, you really preach and, and believe in, in terms of your personal investments, but also a lot of the, the you know, the messaging and, and coaching that you provide out into the, just the general real estate investing universe. Talk to us about you know why cash flow has been the the big thing that you guys have focused on, and why you think it's the right thing to focus on as opposed to cap rate or any other kind of valuation metric that you know someone could try to prescribe towards a a, a new acquisition.
0: The number one question I get right now is, what are you doing to prepare for the market correction? And the number one answer I give is, we buy cash flowing properties from day one. They're all value add properties, so when a property Uh, When the correction takes place, which I believe it will, I just don't know when. uh, We'll simply hold on to that property and we'll cash flow. We won't cash flow as much as we'd like to cash flow because we're going to scale back or even discontinue the renovations on the property. So we'll stop or or slow down the value add process. But we bought a cash flowing property from day one, and so it's a more, in my opinion, it's a more conservative approach than you know buying a property that's completely distressed and doesn't cash flow and you turn it around, uh, you make a good chunk of money, but you can also lose a good chunk of money because what if the market turns? Um, yeah, there's, 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 uh, and I recognize who I'm speaking to right now. Um, and I recognize the fix and flip model. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm treading lightly here, Matt, but, um, <laughs> just in, in general, I, 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 I believe buying cash flowing properties, um, is a safer investment than buying a property that's distressed and not cash flowing or making any money at all. Um, yeah, I've interviewed sixteen hundred investors, approximately sixteen hundred investors, and people who got burned in two thousand eight. One of the things that happened was, you know, they they didn't have a cash flowing property, and that's a problem whenever you lose your job uh, in the, in the market crash because now you don't have the income to. Pay that property or follow through on the renovations.
1: Got it. So right for for you, it's it's a it's a it's a risk return equation that you've measured right and said maybe we're not on an IRR basis going to capture the the types of returns that someone that's um, perhaps investing more speculatively or or taking uh, bigger swings. But um, a lot of baseball games have been won on singles and doubles. Is that is that right. is that kind of the the approach? Yes yep Gotcha. so is there, is there like a kind of a threshold in terms of occupancy or amount of free cash flow that you guys are trying to target on on the on kind of the the way in? like is it like we just need to be cash flowing enough to cover our expenses um, and maybe modeled out for you know a higher vacancy rate or a reduction in rents so or are you are you really looking for if we did nothing to this thing, it's going to be okay? we see some opportunity kind of on the edges to, to get a couple percentage points here and there on, on rents or like, like we're on that spectrum. It's got you guys- yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's, it's got, it's simply gotta be cash flow positive when we buy it. And, um, know yeah, normally, you know, if we're, if we're buying it at a five cap, then, you know, not factoring in debt there, there's your return. Yep. Um, so uh, as long as it's a cash flowing property, uh, day one, and there's value add components to it, and then obviously we have other other variables that we consider. But from a cash flow standpoint, that's what we look at.
1: Got it. Keep it simple. I like to say that real estate investing it really isn't rocket science. The only thing it really requires is discipline, right? Like you yeah. you gotta have yeah. a, you gotta have a thesis. Whatever that thesis is, it could be fixing and flipping. It could be cash flow apartment investing. Like you have a thesis, then you kind of got to stick to it. Um, Yep. Assuming you don't get additional data. Yes, Agreed. Not to believe in that thesis. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Cool. So let's, let's, let's wrap it up here with the, with kind of the theme of the show, which is, um, real estate, in, uh, investing unscripted. So as you know, and you're a planner, right? Things happen. Um, no matter how well you kind of model things out or how well you think you're buying it, um, you know, almost inevitably something's going to come up at some point if you're in the game long enough, that's going to be like, Whoa, that was a kind of a gotcha. C- can you share with us maybe one of those experiences that you've had, or maybe one of your students or something else that you've seen that, you know, the listeners can, uh, can learn from.
0: Yeah. Uh, the property in Houston owned it for a uh, 12 months. And in those 12 months we had two hurricanes and then one fire. <laughs> oh, <two laughs> hurricanes. Laugh. Yeah. Well, hey. everyone was safe, fortunately, That's and good. with all, all of the above. Um, and the, you know, the fire, I mean, it's so cliche, a, 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 resident left the candle burning and it burned the building down. <laughs> you, it, it, you know, it, it burned it, the whole I building I wish I had down? a better story. Uh, but, but whole building. Yeah. Whole building. Wow. Um, eight, eight units. I mean, the property was 150, uh, 155 units. Okay. property and one building had eight units gone. Uh, and during that same 12 month period, we had two hurricanes. Did not prepare for those three things to take place within 12 months of, of ownership. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the um, insurance covered the fire. So pretty much a, a you know, a neutral event. From a a, a, you know, a cash flow and monetary standpoint, um, the hurricanes. We were fortunate that we did not get uh, the brunt of the hurricanes. I forget the first one; the second one was Hurricane Harvey, and the um, you know the, the water came up to the doorsteps, but did not really get into it. Not, we didn't even need to file file an insurance claim, but. Houston was was wrecked yeah. uh, and getting workers to work on our property. were in the renovation process. I mean, it was just not happening. Um, one thing I learned from that, I, I, I call an SOS process for when unexpected things take place. Uh, the first S is safety. So letting investors know people on the ground, if everyone's safe, and then also their money. Um, so, okay, a hurricane is taking place. As a reminder, we have insurance that covers this. Or fires just happened. As a reminder, um, you know we have insurance that covers this. So safety for people, and then safety for their money. Uh, the second one is keeping them up to date. So O, the O and S O S is ongoing communication, um, being proactive about it. You know, I, I only had one or two investors email me um, about it because I was emailing them. And I was being proactive and on top of it. And then the third S is... The, what was the third S? Summary. That's what it was. Uh, so summarizing once everything's done. Um, you know, Just summarizing what took place, what the end result was, both you know safety of people and also safety of their investment. Uh, so that's something I, I created as a result of going through this. And that was certainly something that was unexpected.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely a great example of uh, something you could just never really really plan for. It's interesting you mentioned about the how hard it is to get workers on site, and and I don't know if uh, if any of the people you've interviewed have come up with this idea, but I, I used to work in the insurance business, and and uh, we were we were very big on like loss prevention, and one of the things that we encouraged our larger commercial um, insureds to do was to, um, pre-negotiate contracts with contractors in the event of a, of a natural disaster. Um, you mm-hmm. know, so that you could actually put, you know, especially the emergency crews of like, if you have a tree down, um, right. The guy's going to come out and do your tree before the next guy's because you've paid him right some premium or some advanced kind of down payment to make sure they're on retainer. Now the uh, contract's only as good as their, their delivery on it, but something that, um, I don't know. Maybe it's worth looking at too, especially Yeah. It's in, interesting. In, you know, yeah. Houston. And it's likely that one of these things comes through again in the next 10 years.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if I, I mean, we have one Houston property, uh, we probably will be, you know, be selling that in the next couple of years. I don't know. Um, but if I buy another Houston property, that's, that's a, that's, that's something to consider for sure. Yeah. Info. Yeah. yeah.
1: Cool. So appreciate you sharing that. Um, last thing, let's talk a little bit about, uh, your conference. It's coming up here at the end of February. What is it? Um, kind of who shows up to it? What could people expect to, uh, to learn there if they, if they you know want to check it out, maybe just give us a little rundown on, on the best ever conference.
0: Yeah. Um, so besteverconference.com is where you can learn more about it. It's heavily focused on commercial real estate and, uh, private equity or not private, but private, um, uh, gaining private investors. So if you're focused on investing in deals passively and learning more about different asset classes, this is for you. If you're focused on bringing more investor capital into your deals, then this is for you. And if you're an operator of uh, any type of commercial property or want to be, then this is for you. Um, we don't focus uh, as much on the residential, but we do have uh, a investors who do residential and are looking to scale the residential business. So if you've done multiple deals, then this is for you as well. Um, so for example, we have... I, I asked everyone when I um, was at the conference last year presenting, I asked everyone before I started talking, who's done who's done at least 2 deals? And... Like ninety nine percent of the people have done at least two deals, so everyone there is looking to scale, and um, we don't have any beginning investors who attend. Uh, so if you're looking to maybe scale your flipping business, then this is a good conference because there's lots of ways to, to do that, um, or we we touch on that. Um, but if you're looking to get started in real estate, then this wouldn't be the best conference for you because this is uh, the taking your business to the next level
1: focused. It's a, it's a master's class, I guess maybe if if you want to think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. So it's, uh, I believe it's February 22nd and 23rd, uh, out in Denver. We will be there fund that flip. We, we went last year and I can say it was, it was probably one of, if not the best conference that conferences that we attended last year. And we attend a lot of conferences. So, and, and I mean that, um, check it out. Uh, you know, if you are, are, are investing in real estate, um, focused more on commercial, we, we've got a lot of folks out there I know, listening that are also accredited investors that participate on the platform. So if you're looking for perhaps, uh, you know, other, uh, other sponsors like Joe to uh, potentially allocate some capital to, there'll be a, a large room full of high quality folks out there. So check it out. The best ever, it's just besteverconference.com. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's always a fun time. Yeah. We'll, we'll be hanging out shortly. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward to it as well. Cool. Let's get you out of here. Uh, really, really appreciate your time, Joe. Um, a couple other plugs. So you run, you run a podcast that is called the, the, you, you do it cause I'm going to screw it up. It's a mouthful. Yeah. Best <laughs> real estate investing advice ever. Best real estate. And investing if you want to learn ever.
0: apartment syndication, uh, I've got a book on Amazon. You just search Joe Fairless and it's best, uh, uh, best ever apartment syndication book. So uh, there, there's no there there's uh no ambiguity on what the book is focused on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. I mean, we do the same thing with our name, right? Like, yep. it, it right. Right. yeah, right, like, yeah, clearly, yeah. Fun, fun, that flip, that flip, <laughs> And Don't leave anybody guessing. Uh, That's right. If, if you can't remember that, just JoeFairless dot com. I think works too, right? You've got all yeah. you've got links out sure. to all that. So check out JoeFairless dot com. Really appreciate your time, Joe. I think kind of the 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 three or four things that I pulled out of here, if I could summarize before we cut you loose, um, kind of all starts with a commitment to learning, and I think you've taken that like to the extreme, and it's and it's paid off for you. So um, definitely an ROI out there around just continuing to improve yourself. Uh, I, re- I really liked kind of your your idea of sampling different life experiences. Um, I'm involved with a group here called the Founder Institute that allows folks to, and I went through it actually to kind of. That's actually how we, we met. We were introduced through someone that I met at Founders Institute. But um, I think a lot of people get it wrong when they they, they want to start a business and they just quit their day job without first experiencing what it's like to either run a business or do something different. So use your time. Use your time that you have out there to to watch less Netflix and experiment with stand up comedy. If maybe you're some if that's something you're interested in, <laughs> so that was cool. And then the last one that I really liked is is uh, you know to scale it really starts with a personal assessment. Um I kind of think of it as like a needs assessment, right? What do we actually need to be successful? What do I like doing? Focus on those and then bring other people in that like doing all of the other stuff um to help grow your business. So those were those are those are my three takeaways um from the chat. I think this was this is really good. Any, anything that you'd like to uh, pile on there? All good. Cool. Well, thanks again, Joe. Really, really appreciate you you joining us. Um, And thank you all out there listening to this episode of Real Estate Investing Unscripted. Uh, Be sure to check out our blog at fundthatflip.com. And if you have any funding needs, check us out there as well. Otherwise, look forward to uh, next time. Your host, Matt Rodak, signing off.